Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Kylie Camps, owner of the Kind Parenting Company, wife, proud mum of twin boys, and happiness advocate. This podcast is a place for women who want more from life. It's your time to cultivate more self-care, compassion, happiness, love, and confidence. Let's have real conversations to help you feel better, choose better, and live your best life. Welcome to episode 42. Today's podcast is an interview with a really, really knowledgeable guest. This is a topic that I've wanted to explore for our listeners for a really long time because it affects pretty much everyone who is listening right now. Nicole Jardim is a certified women's health coach. She's the creator of Fix Your Period, a series of programs that empower women to reclaim their hormone health Using a method that combines simplicity and practicality, she really, really helps women to understand how important it is to work with your body, not against it. I thoroughly enjoyed my chat with Nicole, and we cover a variety of women's health issues, including PCOS, endometriosis, irregular periods, heavy periods, missing periods. We just talk all things periods. And I really, really believe you're going to take at least something from this episode, if not a whole laundry list of things to think about. We talk about the pill, we explore so many different things, and it's really a needed conversation. I hope you really enjoy this episode with Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for making the time to sit and chat with us and share your wisdom and your knowledge and your enthusiasm with our community. I know that you're super, super busy right now. So thank you for being here. Hi, Kylie. Thank you so much for having me. A pleasure. Now, I know that you're really, really passionate about encouraging women to actively participate and educate themselves surrounding their own health and in particular, your specialty, their cycles. And we were just chatting before I hit record and I was saying to you, it is so needed. Women need to become curious and informed about their cycles and how it affects every area of their life. Because I know myself, there have been times, you know, over the last decade, 15 years, where I've been really out of touch with what's going on with my body. And it just comes out in so many other ways you know, your mood, your temperament, how you interact, all of that stuff. And I think in this day and age, it's really easy for women to just want a Band-Aid solution. You know, they're reaching for a supplement or a superpower, like a super powder or something like that, without actually coming back to the foundation of knowing what's going on for them intrinsically and with their menstrual cycle. So can you, I guess, Tell us a little bit about how you became such an advocate and so informed on this topic. Yes, definitely. And I could not agree more with you about what you said. I feel like 
I was that person who had no idea and didn't really think that I needed to know about this stuff. I mean, nobody had ever said to me that this was an important, this was important information to learn. And so for me, it all started when I was in my early teens. I, you know, I got my period. It was all relatively regular or whatnot. But as I got older, like 14, 15, 16, I started developing like horrible period cramps to the point where, you know, I would throw up from them. They would hurt so bad. It would radiate down my legs. I would miss school like one or two days out of every month. And my periods were also super heavy. It's like the perfect combination. <laughs> and awful. awful, right? I know. It's like even worse, you know, when you're a teenager because everything's compounded. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, and you're the only one going by everything. through it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Everything's mortifying. And, you know, like I remember one instance at school where I actually leaked through my school uniform. It's just so traumatizing. And so, um, yeah, that went on for a number of years. And then what happened was those didn't change. But then my period started becoming really irregular probably like around 16 or so. And they would just, they would show up like maybe a week or two late and then they became like two months and then it turned into three months. And finally, you know, it, I think it was like three or four months and I hadn't had a period. And my mom was like, okay, it's time for you to go to the gynecologist. And so I went uh, finally, and, you know, I recounted all of my period horrors and she immediately wrote me a prescription for the pill and I was so excited because I'd heard all the great things about being on the pill, you know, and she said to me that that was going to regulate my cycle. It was going to get rid of my period pain and it was going to uh, lessen my heavy flow. And I was like, sweet, sign me up. And so I went on the pill for about five years. It was in my early up until my early 20s. And that really, you know, that was like a pivotal moment for me because it was my period panacea at first. I really noticed, I mean, huge changes. I didn't, you know, I didn't have the heavy periods anymore. I didn't have the period pain. My periods came regularly. But over time, I started losing my hair and I started developing urinary tract infections that just, you know, kept coming back every single month and yeast infections. And then I started putting on weight and I couldn't figure that out. And my mood started to go crazy. And then I started developing joint pain, like so bad in my early twenties that I could barely walk down the stairs. Like my knees were hurting so badly. So all of these sort of seemingly unrelated symptoms were happening to me. And I was going to see all these different doctors Nobody ever said anything about the pill or my hormones or, you know, what was going on in that whole department. And instead, I was just being offered Band-Aid solutions or really nothing, like a kind of wait and see approach. And finally, I just I was like, OK, screw these doctors. I got to figure this out. And a friend of mine suggested I see her acupuncturist. And that was like a, another pivotal moment <laughs> in my life where I saw him and he immediately thought that it could be the pill. No one had ever suggested this to me before. And I really, again, I was completely clueless. Like I had no idea about any of this stuff. And so when I, I finally went off the pill under his guidance and, you know, I was working with him and doing acupuncture every week and he was helping me change my diet and my lifestyle and trying to help me figure out how to exercise and manage my stress and all these things that I'd never even dreamed were things. <laughs> and yeah. that was the beginning of this whole journey. And, you know, sort of the rest is history. I did a lot of training to figure out 
uh, you know, how to how to get to the point where I am now, which is like understanding women's hormones really clearly and being able to communicate this to other women in a way that makes sense. Because it, like I said before, you know, it's just not something that we're taught to, to really understand or even appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that your journey through your teens into your early 20s is unfortunately such a familiar one for so many of us because we get our periods, you know, it's here's the tampons, here's the pads, it's going to come every month. And yes, you are going to be in pain and it's just part of being a woman and get on with it. And, you know, while a lot of that is true, but it's actually not empowering and it's so important that we understand when we are making these choices surrounding things that we're choosing to put into our body, such as the contraceptive pill, how it can impact not just our cycle, but all the other areas of life. And it is really easy to just lose touch with what's going on. Um, mm. So I think it's really fascinating that it took you, I guess, to get to that point of seeing an acupuncturist to connect the dots between your symptoms and, yeah. you know, Thank goodness you did because now (laughs) you've created some wonderful programs and you've built such a loyal and engaged following where you share your message. Now, your program um, that you created is called Fix Your Period, which I love. It sounds so straightforward. But I wanted to start with asking you, what are some of the most common problems that women need to be aware of? Like what are the most common problems things that we need to fix about our period it's that's such a great question because what I continually find with the women who come to me whether they reach out on social media or they send emails or they do the programs is that everyone thinks that their 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 specific period problem is super unique and Ladies, you are all unique in your own special way, but your period problem is not necessarily super unique. And what I think is, you know, what makes period problems a a relatively easy fix in many cases is the fact that our hormones are all interconnected. And so depending on, you know, what you're experiencing, uh, you can link it back to a few key hormones that are probably out of whack. And those are what are causing a sort of cascade effect down to more subordinate hormones, in particular, your sex hormones like estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. Those are kind of the main ones that get disrupted and cause all of these menstrual cycle related issues. And so the main problems that I see are painful periods. I would say that like 80% of women who come to me have period pain. And, you know, there are multiple causes for that. And they can range from something benign, like, uh, you know, maybe you just you have a little bit too much inflammation in your body, and you need to just work on cleaning up your diet and your stress, uh, all the way to something like adenomyosis or endometriosis, which are, you know, actual conditions that are Um, you know, can be very detrimental to a woman's life because they cause significant amounts of pain and other symptoms as well. They're, they're, um, they're rooted in inflammatory, like they're basically inflammatory conditions. And so period pain is a big one. And then heavy periods, I would say is a close second. And as we know, like heavy periods, they're not necessarily life-threatening, but they are hugely disruptive to our lives and can cause uh, anemia for a lot of heavy period sufferers. And then I would say, 
Oh, go oh, ahead. Sorry, go I was ahead. just going to interject just for a second so I don't lose my train of thought. When you speak about heavy periods, how does someone know if they actually have a heavy period? Because I feel like it's a sort of thing that, I mean, I know with my close girlfriends, we discuss, you know, oh, it, it was heavy. I had to, you know, change my tampon this frequently or I have to wear a tampon and a pad or whatever it might be. But I think that for a lot of women, if they don't have those close friendships, they might not even really know that they're suffering from a heavy period, but they could be. Oh my gosh. Yes. I completely agree with that. And I love that you asked this question. It's literally something I was just working on in the edits of my book today. <laughs> because <laughs> it is, it's, it's perfect timing. It's amazing. And it's a little difficult to calculate, you know, quote unquote, actually calculate how much you're bleeding because you're not just using losing blood, right? You're losing, um, you know, bits of tissue and there's shit in there yeah. as well. Right. And there's like fluids and stuff. So it's not just blood. But I think what's most important to understand um, for anyone is that if you are, you know, excessively excessive bleeding is basically characterized by anything that's over 80 milliliters um, in a, you know, in, in one period. So that's not a whole lot. If you were to measure that in, you know, a measuring cup, a measuring for instance, cup yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it's not a whole lot, but I find that the symptoms, paying attention to the symptoms, is probably you know, an, an easier way to figure out whether you're bleeding heavily or not. And so it's things like, are you changing pads or tampons or period underwear uh, more than every one to two hours during your period or a menstrual cup more than every like three to four hours? Because usually a menstrual cup can be in for about 10 to 12 hours. Um, are you, do you, like your friends were saying, do you have to use a pad and a tampon as well, or a pad and a menstrual cup? Uh, because you know, you're, you feel like you flood and flooding is where it's exactly what it sounds like. You know, you're, you're just gushing and you're changing a pad or a tampon, like every 30 to 45 minutes, that kind of thing. Or you, um, you know, when you go to bed at night, you feel like you have to wake up in the night to change your menstrual products. That's like another sign too, that you're probably bleeding excessively or bleeding too much and your period, or just generally you feel like, bone crushing fatigue, like you just feel tired and you feel completely wiped out by your period, you may be iron deficient, you may have iron deficiency anemia because you're losing too much blood. So those are really good signs. But like I said, you know, that 80 milliliters is sort of the cutoff because if you're losing more than that, then that basically the evidence say it says that you will, you know, that's like the time where you could develop iron deficient anemia. Um, so those are, I think, some good signs for people to pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad we covered that because I do think that there will be women listening who are living that and perhaps they've been living that for so many years now that it's just they're normal. They have to change their cup, their pads, their tampons super frequently and, yeah, just not realizing, hey, maybe this is a bit excessive and there's something we can do about it. Exactly. Yes. I mean, there really is, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And so you mentioned a couple of points and are there any other really common problems that people are reaching out to you with? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that the other things are, and these are tied into heavy, painful periods, but uh, one of them is endometriosis. Like I said, you know, millions upon millions of girls and women are affected by this condition. And, uh, you know, currently they say it's one in 10. Um, and, but I'm, I'm going to venture to say it's potentially higher <laughs> than that. I was that. just going to say that would be based off people that are diagnosed with it. Yeah. 
There's, exactly. There would have yes. to be so many people walking around that have it without actual that official diagnosis. Yeah, and that's you know that brings up a really good point as well that we we have normalized uh, the conditions that are associated with our uteruses. I mean, when you have pain in your knee or your ankle or your back, and you go to your doctor or you go to a physical therapist, they're usually going to help you figure that out. I mean, they do a pretty good job of that. But for when, for when we have uterine pain or pain associated with our menstrual cycles, that is That's generally just the fun ignored. of being a woman, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of BS. Um, and so, yes, yeah, like it's, it's really normalized and it is often dismissed. And so that is why, in fact, with endometriosis, it takes on average from the time of symptom onset to diagnosis about 10 years, which is wow. Great. That I is know. shocking. Isn't that crazy? And unfortunately, the only way to like officially diagnose endometriosis is to do a laparoscopic surgery, which is an exploratory surgery to determine whether and there is endometriosis present in the pelvic cavity. It's not pretty. Really invasive. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So endometriosis is, is, like I said, quite common and is in many cases linked to period pain that is, you know, I don't consider normal. Like there's normal period pain, you know, like if you have to just take like an ibuprofen, one ibuprofen or two ibuprofens and you can get on with your day or, you know, it doesn't disrupt your life. But if you have period pain, ladies, if you have period pain that is disrupting your life activities or you find that you have to take more than a dose of ibuprofen or a painkiller, um, or you find that period pain does not respond to any kind of painkillers that you take, then you've got to start looking deeper than that because it, you know, your, your period is a barometer for your overall health. It's not just your period. And so I think that it's really crucial for us to start paying attention to those signs. So like I said, endometriosis is common. Adenomyosis is another condition that's, that's becoming more common. And it's, it's actually often diagnosed in conjunction with endometriosis and it's similar to endo like endo for everyone who does not know is basically when the there's tissue that lines your uterine lining and it sheds every month and so there's it, the tissue it's similar to the tissue that lines your uterine lining basically it grows outside of your uterus and so it grows on your ovaries potentially or um, on your bowel or outside of the uterus and um, you know, and it has the same kind of response to hormones that your your uterine lining might have, meaning that it, you know, becomes engorged and it gets, you know, it like it gets to the point where, you know, it would want to shed every month, but it has nowhere to go. So it creates all this inflammation and these lesions and scar tissue and a lot of pain. And with adenomyosis, it's when um, it you can think of your uterine lining. And again, think of like it just becoming thicker and thicker and almost like a sponge in a way. And so it just becomes so engorged that uh, you experience, you know, really, really heavy bleeding and a significant amount of pain. So those two, like I said, are, are quite common. And then polycystic ovary syndrome, that's another one that I see in uh, you know, as a as underlying pathology for you know very irregular cycles or anovulatory cycles or um, you know like hair growth on your face or hair loss in your head or acne, these kinds of symptoms show up, and a lot of the time we don't even realize that there's an underlying problem that's causing these symptoms to happen. We just kind of think, oh, you know, they're normal, like irregular just periods. They're just, it. Yeah. just normal, right? Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, what happens is we're just put on 
in many cases, we're just put on the pill to resolve it, right? It's like, oh, you've got irregular periods, take the birth control pill. You have heavy periods, take the birth control pill. You have period pain, take the birth control pill. I mean, it's really just sort of a catch-all at this point for for all the women's health problems. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned there's a certain level of, I guess, resignation for so many women where they just go, oh, I've never been one to have regular periods or I've always had bad periods and it's just that resignation to it is what it is and I'm going to accept it without actually becoming curious or I guess if they are curious about it often the first line of defense is that contraceptive pill so for these women who are coming to you with some of those um, common symptoms that you mentioned what is the first starting point is it you know literally tracking your period because I know for me the last three or so years before that I never tracked my period I would just go oh I feel like it's going to be coming soon based off the fact that I had sore boobs and a lower backache and then once I started tracking it it was such a game changer for me Nicole because I realized that you know exactly two weeks to the day before my period is due I have a really low day and I find mm-hmm. things harder. I have less patience. I'm more snappy. And so for me, tracking my period was this massive unlock because I was able to go, oh, that's why I'm feeling that way. You know, my life's not bad. I'm just having that that hard day before my period comes. Yes. So is tracking like a good place to start? I love that you asked me this question. And hell yes, it is. And I actually wanted to say to you, it's so interesting that you that you've discerned that from tracking your cycle because you know that's that's ovulation time and usually I see that as well I actually see that pattern a lot of the time because what happens is your estrogen your testosterone are super high right before ovulation then estrogen spikes and so does LH which is luteinizing hormone and that is what the that triggers your um, you know, the egg to be released from the ovary. And so, so it triggers ovulation. And then once the egg is released from the ovary, the ovary starts to produce progesterone from that little follicle that the egg came from. But there's sort of like an interim time where if your progesterone hasn't quite kicked in yet and your estrogen has spiked and dropped off pretty fast, you're in that middle um, zone where you're, you know, you don't have any estrogen anymore. Your progesterone hasn't picked up yet to like, kind of like boost you a little bit. So you're sort of like, you just don't feel that great. So a lot of the time I see that it's like a, it's like a, just a sudden drop off almost. Yeah. So that's definitely (laughs) what I feel. And it was just, (laughs) it was purely because I realized that those were the days that I was finding it harder to stay calm with the kids, you know, and I had that moment of going, you know what, they're the same kids every day in, day out. (laughs) but it's me that's struggling that day. So yeah, tracking is really empowering for me because I don't beat myself up then. And I'm just like, oh, just go easy on myself that day because I do have less patience. So tracking is obviously important. And what else, like where else should women start if they want to become curious? Obviously, um, grabbing your program, fix your period is awesome. So where, where do they begin? 
Well, I will say that like when it comes to tracking your cycle, I, you know, I definitely want people to start there. I really think that that is so critical and, you know, don't be me and be completely clueless. I was totally that girl who would go to the doctor and would lie about the last day of my period because I had no idea when (laughs) the hell that was. And, you know, I really think that, you know, when you're thinking about what that looks like, think about from a really basic perspective, you get a, a some kind of tracking app. There's many on the market at this point. And you're, the first thing you want to be doing is inputting the, you know, the first day of your period, the last day of your period. And you want to be tracking period-related symptoms like, uh, you know, how, first of all, how heavy your period is. Um, or how light it is. Uh, Maybe, you know, how often you're changing pads and tampons to kind of get an idea. Because again, once you have this data, you can then really start to, you know, figure out, you know, what, what's normal and what isn't. And then also think about, um, you know, pain that you experience, like, what is it? Is it disrupting your life? Do you have to stay home? Uh, How many, how much medication have you taken to, to deal with the pain? And then in addition to that, uh, spotting as well is a big one. For me, I want everyone to be tracking whether they're spotting in their lead up to their period or in the days after, or if they're spotting at any other time in their cycles, because that's a big key that something is up. Uh, When your uterine lining is not staying in place, where it's when it's, you know, supposed to be in place uh, outside of your period, then you've got to, you know, you got to look at that. So usually, like if you spot for one or two days before you get your period, that's okay. Uh, But like anywhere from three to 10 days before your period, that's usually in my books, a sign of uh, low progesterone levels. So progesterone would keep your uterine lining in place. Uh, until you get your period and when it drops. Um, So if you're spotting, then low progesterone is, you know, is a problem because usually progesterone in that second half of your cycle keeps you calm, right? I call it, I kind of joke that it's the keep calm and carry on hormone because Mm -hmm. usually it's what it's supposed to do. But if we don't have enough of it, you know, we do really kind of start to lose it. We, we get anxiety and we get snappy and everyone pisses us off. And, you know, everything that was not bothering us two weeks before is now bothering us. Like you said, right? They're the same kids. (laughs) Yeah. Your partner is the same person. Um, So yeah, like I, and then emotional symptoms as well. So anything that's going on during your period, you know, how do you feel? Do you feel super depressed? Do you just feel completely wiped out? Like all of those are great, great uh, signs to pay attention to, as well as cravings, um, your energy levels, your sleep, are you, is your sleep disrupted? bowel movements because your hormones definitely affect your bowel movements. And, um, and, you know, if you have like brain fog or breakouts, like all of these symptoms can tell you things. And so what's really amazing is detailed, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, it, it might be a lot for people. So, you know, I always recommend just starting with your basic period symptoms, but yeah, like to me, that is going to give you so much data on your unique body, your unique menstrual cycle, because at the end of the day, you can only tailor your life and your lifestyle to your cycle, not anyone else's, not what anyone else is telling you is normal. And so you're going to have to figure out what your norm is. Yeah. And I love that. And it's something I've spoken about in terms of how important I think it is to track different areas of your life. And one area of life that, you know, I don't ever um, advocate or encourage people to be obsessive about, but curious and aware and just track for a little while the data 
of what foods you eat and how they make you feel as well because you know all too often again women are feeling they have that 3 p.m crash and they're struggling but if they just spend a week writing down what they actually eat and then how they feel after it it gives you intel and insight and then all of a sudden it's so much easier to make good choices so I guess it's the same when you're making you know taking these notes and becoming more detailed about your cycle gives you the intel and it empowers you and it also builds trust and connection with your own body Oh, yes, I know it really does. You know, I was thinking about that, actually, as we were talking about the fact that, you know, we've really been almost programmed to distrust our bodies and fear them in a way. And that's so unfortunate because our bodies have so many clues as to or will give us so many clues as to what is going on with our health. And, you know, like when I think about uh, period symptoms. I mean, they can tell you so much about, you know, progesterone. They can tell you about estrogen. They can tell you about testosterone. They can tell you what's going on with your thyroid if you decide to take the cycle tracking a bit further and test your basal body temperature every morning. You know, if you have low, you know, consistently low temperatures, that might mean hypothyroidism. Consistently high temperatures might mean hyperthyroidism. It's just fascinating, you know, like what we can learn about our bodies when we tune in instead of constantly looking outside of ourselves. But ultimately, you know, when we are kids, you know, we go to the doctor and the doctor gives us something to help us get better. And so we are, we're, we're pretty much programmed from a very young age to look to others to fix what's wrong with our bodies rather than feeling empowered in an understanding of our bodies that, you know, we've just never been given. And so when I think about hormones, you know, they have a pretty bad rap. I mean, like hormones yeah. kind of need a makeover because when we think about hormones, what do we think about? We think about negative things, right? We yeah, think about mood swings, right? And, yeah. and perimenopause and PMS, exactly. And being a bitch and all of these things that are just, yeah, that's part of hormones, but that's part of hormonal imbalance. That's, that's not part of like what hormones actually do for you. And, you know, because when I was doing research for the Fix Your Period program years ago, I asked, you know, women what they thought about hormones or what they thought of when they thought of hormones. And they thought of all of those things is exactly what you said. And no one ever thinks about hormones in a positive way. And the fact that they basically run the show. I mean, they govern like 99% of what is happening in your body at any given time. And, you know, whether you're hungry, sleepy, want to have sex, are getting your period, whatever, they're, they're responsible for all of it. And so if we're not taking care of our hormones actively, then we're going to run into problems. And your menstrual cycle is like the canary in the coal mine. It's going to tell you pretty Letting much you know. right away yeah, that something's up. Yeah. And I love that. And I think that, as I said, that's why I resonate so much with your message, Nicole, is because it's empowering to actually go, yes, we all have hormones and how can I work with them rather than working against them and you know I just touched on how I feel about people just having an awareness about the foods that they're choosing to put into their body so I guess my next question is how much of a role does nutrition play you know are there general things that we should all be avoiding in our diet mm -hmm. and you know things that we should all be aiming to include so that we can look after and nurture those hormones 
Yeah, I, you know, this is the age-old question, isn't it? Like, question. what do we eat? I know, right? What do I yeah. eat to fix Give the us all the answers. All right the answers. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I the the pro my fix your berry program is, uh, you know, it's relatively straightforward because I found that you know, no one diet works for everyone, as we know. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of the diet books claim to be the one, but I just, I don't really buy into that because I've seen so many women over the years who have responded to different things. Like I've seen women adopt a vegan diet or a plant-based diet, and it works really, really well for them. Uh, although not so many of them, <laughs> I haven't seen that too often, but I see, you know, a lot of women switch from a vegan to a paleo or a keto diet. And that completely changes their lives and they regulate their periods and everything is under control, you know? So like, it really just depends on your physiology and your lifestyle, your stress levels, um, you know, what, how you respond to stress based on your upbringing. I mean, there's so many aspects to it, right? Your gut health, all of it. And so what I would say when it comes to getting your hormones under control, just think nutrients. Like we, at the end of the day, our bodies are built on whatever we put into our mouths, literally. And if we are eating food that just is not supportive of our, of our overall health, I mean, you're just going to feel the symptoms of it. So coming, you know, a lot of women will say to me, well, I eat so well, and I'm still having these problems. And I just say to them, well, you might be eating well based on, you know, the, the standard idea of what eating well looks like, but it's clearly not working for your body or your unique physiology. So you're going to have to do a little bit of a re-examination of what it is that you're eating and try something different. And so the very first thing I ask women to do is to just to bring more of the nutrient dense food into their diet. And what that looks like is, uh, you know, for me, it's like the easiest thing is to in every meal that you have, do a, you know, make sure that you have like one to two servings of leafy greens and not just lettuce. <laughs> I'm talking about yeah. like the dark leafy greens, um, you know, like your kale and collard greens and Swiss chard and spinach and those kinds of foods, because that is going to really help move the needle on just your energy levels, first of all, and like I said, your nutrient stores so that you can actually make the hormones that you need to make in order to start feeling better. So that's a, that's a good first place to start. And literally, I just, I tell everyone, like, stop thinking of the greens as a side dish and make them more of the main component of your meal. So half your plate should be these kinds of vegetables. Um, not only leafy greens, of course, like the cruciferous vegetables as well, because at the end of the day, we live in a very estrogenic environment and, you know, pretty much everything is a xenoestrogen, which is an estrogen that comes from outside of your body. And these xenoestrogens can really mess with your own internal estrogen balance. And because they look to your body, they look so much like an estrogen molecule that your body makes that they can actually lock onto an estrogen receptor in your body and block your own estrogens. And so what can happen there is that they can give you almost a heightened response. And so this is why, you know, these conditions like estrogen dominance or estrogen excess, which is when estrogen in relation to progesterone is too high, those are so common. And the symptoms of that, again, are heavy periods, prolonged bleeding, um, PMS symptoms, even period pain, and all of these conditions I was just talking about, endometriosis, adenomyosis, fibroids are not 
estrogen based, but they are fed by estrogen. And so we, you know, we really have to focus on, on those basics of the food part of things first, because that is going to not only support our nutrient stores, but it's also the cruciferous vegetables are going to support your liver's ability to break down your estrogen, because that's where it all goes. <laughs> your liver is basically like your body's housekeeper. So yeah. if it's not getting the nutrients it needs, and or it's overloaded by all of these synthetic estrogens, then we really run into problems. And so those synthetic estrogens that you mentioned, how are we getting those? Are they like, sorry, I'm, this is, I'm finding this really interesting. Is that through processed food or did you say environmental factors as well? Um, That's such a good question. No, it really is. Because I don't think a lot of people realize that. No, well, I didn't. Right? I know. Oh, girl, they're everywhere. Um, I, you know, <laughs> Pull up a I, I, I know exactly. Seriously, do you have all day? Um, so it's, you know, it's sort of unfortunate because uh, our modern world is is full of these quote unquote xenoestrogens. I call them estrogen imposters. You know, they kind of show up at the party disguised as something else or disguised as uh, estrogen, but they're not really. <laughs> and so, um, you know, first of all, it's plastics. So okay. uh, anything, you know. Any, any kind of plastic that you're touching, you're exposing yourself potentially to uh, estrogenic compounds. So BPA is a big one, bisphenol A, and yeah. even the replacements for BPA. So even if you see BPA free, all the whatever they're using in place of that, it ain't good, I promise. So, so just funny. try. I was, <laughs> I was just going to say, I you know, obviously I have a level of awareness surrounding BPAs and the plastics and things like that, but I didn't realize that it was due to it being kind of like a faux estrogen. Like I, I didn't understand. Yeah. I didn't know that connection. So that's fascinating to me. Yes. Oh man. BPA, you know, BPA is rough because it's like in everything, right? It's in plastic line cans. It's in the water bottles. It's in um, baby bottles in all kinds of packaging. And like I said, even if you remove the BPA, you're still, you know, you still have, other compounds that they're using in place of it that are no good. And so BPA, I feel like it tops the list as one of the worst endocrine disrupting offenders because, uh, you know, first of all, what I have seen in the research that I've been doing is that, first of all, it's an obesogen, meaning that it actually can promote obesity in our bodies. Uh, wow. If we have too high levels of it, partly because it increases appetite, even if our stomachs are full. So again, like, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of those that just messing that, with your signal. Yeah. In our body. Exactly. And what's, I find really disturbing is that what I've seen in, um, these are animal studies, but still, still disturbing that it disrupts, uh, follicle and egg development. So in females and in pregnant wow. females and potentially even in their fetuses. So this is like a generational problem now. And that, you know, messes with our our ovaries production of estrogen and of progesterone and can really mess with our fertility ultimately. So it's, you know, these are these are pretty insidious uh, chemicals. And not only is it in plastics, of course, but pesticides on our food, those are pretty potent endocrine disrupting chemicals as well. And, um, you know, I mean, like plastic flip flops, think about like how, you know, yeah. that through, you know, these chemicals through your feet. Um, and then also too thinking about like drinking through pl plastic lids on your coffee cup just, or on your, I just cup. need to 
stop this podcast and go and completely burn down my whole house. <laughs> I know, I'm so sorry. I, I feel need so to bad. start again. <laughs> I know, okay. we really need a but whole hey, change. You know what? <laughs> I, I live by the motto, when you know better, you do better. So literally, thank you. Because I didn't so know. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love that motto. I think it is so necessary for all of one. us to adopt it. Mm. That's huge. Yes, it's so huge. I mean, I could go on, but I think that ultimately do your best to limit your limit your exposure to plastics. I mean, it's it's pretty doable these days. I mean, there's a replacement mm-hmm. for everything now. And then also just think about um, you know, getting a water filter for your drinking water. I mean, that's a huge yeah. one. And a good one, not like a Brita. I feel like if you can, if that's all you can do right now, I get that. That's cool. But if you can upgrade, I would certainly recommend something like a Berkey. That's a you know really great water filter. It, you know they have it in the U.S. I'm pretty sure they sell in many other countries as well. But you know whole whole house water filter, those are great as well. Anything that you know will help sort of like ease the toxic burden. I think that's the biggest thing is that we just need to figure out a way to lower. Um, the amount that we're ingesting so that or being exposed to so that we can make sure that our liver doesn't get overloaded. Um, And that's just one, you know, that's one relatively easy way to to start to support our hormones. Mm, That's so fascinating. And so, you know, looking at at that, that area of what we're consuming, not just in our food, but also in our lifestyle as well. Um, that's something to be super aware of. Are there any other sort of more, I guess, common daily foods or drinks such as I'm talking like your coffee, your soft drinks, those sort of things that just need to go if you're looking at trying to fix your cycle or is that too broader, too broader statement? No, nope. <laughs> nope, they all. need to go. Okay. I, know. I mean, like coffee doesn't necessarily need to go. I can already hear people shaking their heads people and being crying. They're logging yeah. off now. <laughs> You know, women this are like, oh, is bullshit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare pull the coffee out of my cold, dead hands. Um, but I, you know, when it comes to caffeine, caffeine's complicated, right? And again, it comes back to our genetics because some of us are slow metabolizers of caffeine and some of us are fast metabolizers of caffeine. And so if you're a slow metabolizer like me, you get jittery and you get anxious and you just don't do well with it. Whereas if you're a fast metabolizer, you do probably just fine on on coffee or caffeine, generally speaking. And so, you know, we really have to tune into ourselves, right? Like if you are, first of all, if you need like three cups of coffee to just get going in your life on a daily basis, you have much bigger problems than problem. <laughs> help you with. Yes. And you're going to have to like really look at that. Um, but if you're, you know, if you have like a cup of coffee in the morning and you feel fine and you're not having issues, you know, with anxiety or feeling like constantly overwhelmed or jittery or overly excitable and you can fall asleep at night and stay asleep and you're not waking up in the middle of the night or you're not waking up feeling groggy, then you're probably just fine. So again, it comes back so much to your unique physiology and whether you're, you know, whether you're, you're fine with something like that. Whereas, like I said, for me, I drink like one glass or one cup of green tea and I'm a little shaky. (laughs) It's kind of just a high sensitivity. Yes, totally. I know. And I think it's very much about how you drink the coffee or the caffeine too, right? Because if you're just like slugging a whatever venti, whatever, (laughs) that's the biggest Starbucks drink. I don't even know. 
<laughs> you know, <It> as you're <laughs> hustling your ass off to work, you know, you, that is not a great environment to be drinking your, your venti cafe, a coffee. <laughs> it's just not, yeah. if you're like, re, here I am saying like reading the newspaper, but you know, whatever, like if you're just sort of having it as part of your morning routine and things are relatively calm around you, that to me is a different story. So it's very much about the ritual and it's very much about your external environment and how you're doing things, right? It's the same for eating your food as well, because you can be eating all those, that half a plate of greens every day, but you're eating it. You're literally scarfing it down. You're literally not even chewing your food. And then you're hustling right back to get in front of the computer or worse yet, you're eating and working and you're not really even taking time to look at your food, <laughs> even notice if you're chewing mm -hmm. five times or 30 times, things like that, I, you know, are really, really critical as well. It's not so much the thing, it's the how. And we have to be cognizant of that too, especially in a world where, you know, I call it the age of chronic overstimulation, which is what we're living in. Um, and if we are not taking time for ritual around what we're eating, how we're eating, the coffee that we're drinking, we're, we're going to continue to run into these problems of, you know, messed up digestion and messed up hormones. Because like I said, you can eat all of that broccoli, but if your digestion is a mess, uh, because you're so stressed and, you know, because, or maybe you've, you know, like there's a bacterial imbalance, like a microbiome problem or something, you're not going to ever be able to extract the nutrients. So hopefully it tasted good because that's all it's going to be. So it's really, you know, it's like a lot of things to consider, but hopefully that's, that's helpful for people to get an idea of, of bringing awareness to, you know, what their morning routine looks like, what their, their meals look like, what their nighttime wind down routine looks like. You know, again, like when we're thinking about winding down, uh, you know, staring at a screen at 11 PM is definitely not going to be conducive to melatonin production and mm -hmm. prop, a proper night's sleep. And so when we think about hormones, I think sleep is grossly underrated and oh, absolutely right. I mean, it's so bad. We are so bad. This, I feel like this generation or, you know, at least this time in our, in our humanity is, is unbelievable. I mean, it's worse than it's ever been. I mean, sleep problems are completely out of control. At least they are in the U S I'm imagining they are in Australia and pretty much everywhere Definitely. else as well. Mm, I think it's and, a universal epidemic for everyone who lives in a you know in a country that is developed and busy and has access to so much information at our fingertips we are all just tuned in all the time and that's something I often speak about is the importance of having that transition period from you know we put so much pressure on our bodies to be go 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 firing on all cylinders and then oh okay drop time to sleep no exactly. you need to create a transition period to allow your body and your mind to physiologically unwind and prepare for rest. Oh my gosh. Yes. So important. I completely agree. Yeah. I could not agree with you more. And I'm the first to raise my hand and say how guilty I am of this. Like it is something that I continually work on because it just doesn't come easy to me. I, I like being up at night. <laughs> I like to do things yeah, at night. Mornings, right, not so night much. I know. I'm always dreamed of being that chick who wakes up at 5 a.m. and does a meditation and works out and like but you has know two it, hours. It goes both ways because that is me. I wake up super early in my mornings and my time where I get stuff done. But from like 7 p.m. I'm useless. Like I'm practically <laughs> like I'm practically just, you know, um, walking around asleep but with my eyes opened and I'm, I'm not there. So it goes both ways. But 
Another thing that I wanted to touch on, and you mentioned this when we were speaking about sort of the phytoestrogen um, coming into our body, and that is your body weight and how that impacts your period. Because I know myself in my early 20s, I lost my period due to being really, really underweight and also mm. over-exercising. And I lost it for a good year. And it took me, like I had to gain a significant amount of weight and then maintain it in order to have my period come back. But I also know there's the flip side. There's, you know, yes, being underweight, but then obviously there's being overweight and it's all hormonal. So how does that impact your period? I know this is also such a great topic of conversation because what you described is so common and I should have mentioned it as one of the common issues that I see. And, you know, that is, you know, hypothalamic amenorrhea, uh, which is basically amenorrhea where you don't have a period for three months or more if you had a regular period prior to that or six months or more if you didn't have an, if you had an irregular period. And um, it's, you know, it's brought on by, you know, by the hypo, like hypothalamic dysfunction. So your hypothalamus is sort of the master gland in your endocrine system and it, it presides over the entire endocrine system. And so if you're, you know, if it's, if it's experiencing or it's, de- it's determining that, you know, it, it's too stressful in your life, whether that's internal stress, like you're not eating enough, um, or you're over exercising or, um, you know, even you're on like, you know, you're, there's some kind of like perception of stress, like what, how you're perceiving stress, then it's going to just be like, hell no, we're not, we're not ovulating because it's not safe, right? Your body basically evolved, uh, millions of years ago and, uh, or hundreds, not millions, sorry, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of years ago. <laughs> I was clo- sort of close. Um, and same you know, we, it's same, yeah, right. Exactly. A long time ago. And it's one of those things where we just don't even really realize that, right? We don't realize how long this is, this process has been being perfected. And so now we come along in our crazy, you know, chronic overstimulation life. And, um, and then we end up in a situation where, uh, you know, our bodies are just like, we, we're, we're actually doing what we're supposed to do, what we've evolved to do, which is shutting down these non-essential functions uh, to preserve energy and preserve our our health, and um, and we think it is it means that our bodies are broken, right, or they're not working properly. But it's actually mm-hmm. not the truth. And so it's our body des- listening to those red flags. A hundred percent, exactly. Yeah. And so what you described about you losing your period is exactly what will happen, right? Because if your body thinks that you don't have enough body fat to sustain a pregnancy, or enough nutrient stores to sustain a pregnancy or it's too dangerous out in the world to even get pregnant, then like I said, your body will just won't, won't do that. And it'll shut off. I mean, it's quite incredible actually. And it's so exciting because I wrote about all of this in the book too, that from like a hypothalamus, from the hypothalamus level, uh, what happens is there's a disruption in the signal from your hypothalamus to your pituitary uh, and so that's the first step. And then there's a further disruption. So cortisol literally will disrupt uh, FSH and LH that come from your pituitary that are directly meant to stimulate your, your follicles and, you know, and trigger ovulation. And then even at the ovarian level, you know, the, your stress hormones can potentially 
make your ovaries uh, resistant to those FSH and LH hormones, meaning that, you know, like they won't even respond to them properly. So your body, your body literally has checks and balances all the way down the system Mm -hmm. to make sure that you don't ovulate if there, if it perceives too much danger. I mean, that really puts the brakes on. Yeah. Right. It's incredible to me because our bodies are like, always working for us not against and us that's it you just took the words out of my mouth that's exactly what I was going to say just reframing to go wow like my body is really working for me here rather than hey my body's trying to you know be bothersome here yes exactly right I know and most of us are like oh I hate my body what is it doing to me right now it's completely rebelling against me and I have why no is idea it doing why this to me yes, yeah exactly yeah. right we feel so, so punished random. <laughs> I know right But then like you were saying on the flip side, uh, you know, there's, so yes, there can be a situation where there is too much body fat, right? Because body fat actually is kind of like an endocrine organ. It makes estrogen. So if you have too little, you're, you might not have enough estrogen. I mean, like I said, your ovaries might not be working properly based on what I just described. And then if you have too little body fat, then, you know, there's not, it's not being making any estrogen really there. But if you have too much body fat, um, your, your body fat is making estrogen and it's, it's trick, it's causing this sort of estrogen overload. And so there's, there's an enzyme called aromatase and, um, it is basically responsible for converting testosterone into estrogen. And so if we have, uh, you know, when we're, we're eating too much sugar and we have high levels of insulin, which is the, you know, the hormone from your pancreas that moves sugar from your, your, um, blood into your cells, Uh, So high blood sugar, high insulin, insulin actually raises estrogen because it raises the activity of this enzyme called aromatase. So it, you know, it like raises the conversion from testosterone to estrogen. So you have this body fat producing estrogen, and then you have this conversion from testosterone to estrogen and we run into major problems, right? Like we're, we're more prone to these, these estrogen dominant problems where, whether that's, you know, heavy periods or very long cycles, um, polycystic ovary syndrome is very common in this scenario as well. Um, you know, there are a lot of issues that, that can show up. So it, it's, it's problematic on both ends of the spectrum. And, you know, we have to, you know, again, I, I believe that, uh, you know, we have all different kinds of bodies and, and some of us are much thinner and some of us are heavier and that's totally okay. But we really have to find, you know, the weight that works for us. And like I said, your menstrual cycle is going to tell you, because like you said, you know, a lot of us, I did this too, we diet, like we beat our bodies into submission, right? We diet to the point Mm -hmm. where we literally lose our periods. And that, you know, a a lot of women think, oh, that's like a major blessing. Like nobody ever said, oh yeah, I really want to have my period every month. (laughs) But it really is. I mean, it's so, it's like a, it's a major problem and you've got to look at it as that. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, as you mentioned, another form of stress. And obviously exercise as well is a form of stress. And when, you know, when done correctly for each individual exercise can be a really positive thing. But I know in my case, when I lost my period, I was really overtraining, um, mm. you know, and now fast forward two kids later and 12 years later and whatnot, exercise for me is totally different. I don't train now with the intention of maintaining a really low body weight. For me, exercising is about staying strong and making sure I can in fact keep up with the kids and I'm looking after this vessel that I live in 
and it's also just such a natural antidepressant for me exercise really is a huge savior um for my own mood I, I really I love it and I can feel the effects that it has on me so I'm sure that exercise is obviously related to hormones as well and I have a feeling you're going to say that this depends on the person but is there a type of exercise that is generally considered best for our cycle health yeah you know it's exercise is so interesting because um it again depends the most annoying answer ever, but it really does. And, you know, I think there's sort of a bit of good news and bad news when it comes to exercise. I think that what's amazing about exercise is that it actually enhances insulin sensitivity. And when I think about, you know, blood sugar management and insulin, which I call a tier one hormone, um, because it can have a, a downstream effect on, on all of your sex hormones. Um, you know, we want to make sure that we're maintaining our blood sugar and our insulin levels with the food that we're eating. Uh, but exercise helps that, which is really great. And so, um, you know, what they found in the research is that hit exercise, like high intensity interval training helps to, you know, address blood sugar issues and improve insulin regulation. So that's really great. So I find that that is a really great way for a lot of women to exercise and they find that, that, that works for them. And then, you know, like you said, too much exercise can cause a lot of problems. And so like I was describing before, our bodies evolved uh, to to sense danger, right? We are acutely aware of of danger, and so running marathons, <laughs> spinning classes five days a week, you know, all of these are our body recognizes as potentially dangerous. Our body definitely did not know that we would run for fun <laughs> in this day and age. It not it was not running from lions is not one running thing. from running predators. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For fun is a whole other. But your body's just like, oh, this is all the same thing. And so that's why, again, like why so many athletes or female athletes lose their periods uh, because of what we just talked about. So like on the flip side, though, with exercise, too much of it can cause problems with insulin. So a lot of the time, if you're over exercising, in many cases, uh, not it wasn't in your case necessarily, but in some, what happens is you might actually start to put on weight you might be gaining weight and you have no idea why because you're working out really hard. But the problem is that it actually has a, a negative impact on insulin resistance. And so it can actually worsen blood sugar and insulin problems if you're working out too much. And you know it also raises cortisol and triggers inflammation and your body is just like, what do I do with all of this? So you know, they're like, it's fine again in the short term if you're working out hard and whatnot, but over the long term, it really just drives your body into this sort of survival mode. And then your body is just sort of holding on to energy stores, whatever it can hold on to, just because it, it's sensing that, you know, it's, it's a survival mode, it's sensing that there's scarcity and it'll, you know, possibly increase cravings for carbohydrates and, uh, you know, your blood sugar is going to be all over the place. So you'll just continue to put on weight. And yeah, it's a huge problem. So yeah. I see, I see a couple different things. Like I said, I, I see that hypothalamic amenorrhea, I see weight gain, and then, you know, and then I see sort of something in the middle that seems to work for a lot of people. Mm, so moderation, which again, it's, <laughs> you know, as you mentioned with 
you know, nutrition, it's really coming back to basics, which I um, did an episode not too long ago with a wonderful um, nutritionist. And, you know, we were sort of dispelling the myths surrounding gut health rather than focusing on all these potions and pills that you might need for gut health. It really is about coming back to actually eating a large variety of vegetables and, you know, just such basic stuff. But we are all too often looking for that, you know, what's the edge? What do we need to do differently? But actually it's just connecting with ourselves and coming back to basics. No kidding. I completely agree with that. Who knew? (laughs) Right? I know. It's But that's like the simplest thing to do. But we now live in a society where there's a lot of noise and everyone is offering some solution, new thing. Yes, exactly. And that's, you know, and I get it. But at the same time, it's just confusing for a lot of people. It is. And, you know, there obviously is a time and place to to look outwards for solutions and diagnosis, diagnosis. But there's also, first and foremost, connect within, become aware, become curious, track, monitor and you know understand that your body really is working for you and the last topic that I really wanted to I guess unpack a little more with you it's a big one and it's (laughs) a controversial one and it can be a bit of a loaded topic but that is the contraceptive pill we've touched on it briefly in terms of your journey and how so many of us as women have just gone down the path of using the contraceptive pill But I know for myself, I can't take the pill. I've tried um, in my late teens, I I had tried and it just made me so sick. I would vomit as soon as I would have the pill and then I would try a different one. And it was the same thing again. And then even after having um, our twin boys, which was in 2013, it was a suggestion from my um, doctor to try the pill, tried Mm -hmm. it again then for literally maybe two weeks. And I was so up and down during that two-week period and vomiting every day it was like my body was just rejecting it so I've never been one to take the pill but I know that you've got big opinions on the pill and I really want to hear them (laughs) I know oh my gosh where do I begin I you know I think that we're all I think first of all we really have to be informed And so many of us are taking the pill or using some other form of hormonal birth control, whether that's an IUD or the vaginal ring or the patch or um, an implant, you know, like in your arm, Mm -hmm. uh, that we are, and we are completely uninformed about the the potential side effects. Like how many of us have ever looked at that little leaflet? I I certainly didn't. Uh, So, you know, and our doctor's, in many cases, just don't have the time to inform and they us. They often minimize. They often minimize the side effects. Oh, this could happen. Yeah. That could happen. But oh, it's yes. part of the parcel. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, there's multiple things here. So, like I said, informed consent. It's really huge. The problem is, is that we have to advocate for that. We have to be the ones to ask about the side effects and ask to see to read through the the pamphlet that comes with whatever birth control you're trying to use and you know and get super informed about the possible risks because at the end of the day no one's going to care more about your health than you and your it's your body it's your health it's your life i mean it's literally to me a life and death situation and we're like you said not at all 
informed about it and it's downplayed. And I have now met multiple families who's who've lost daughters, you know, wives, girlfriends to uh, like a pulmonary embolism while being on the pill. And while that might be a quote unquote rare side effect, uh, it's happening. Women are dying on birth control and we're not really doing anything about it. I, you know, I interviewed an amazing man, this guy, David Rowan, his daughter died uh, from a pulmonary, pulmonary embolism while on the pill. And he started a foundation and he advocates so hard for education around this because uh, he, he's like, this is, this is happening. And why are we not doing anything about it? And I, you know, I was so struck by what he said. And, you know, it made me think that, you know, some of us are just sort of collateral damage when it comes to conventional medicine, right? Like there are just, there are going to be some deaths. There are going to be side effects that are uh, really serious for some of us. And that's just sort of okay. And I, I really have an issue with that. I, I'm just, I'm just so not okay with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Right. Like we bear the brunt of birth control and we're the sex that bears the brunt of birth control for the most part. And yet we can only get pregnant um, you know, for two days out of the month, technically, like we're only fertile, you know, for 48 hours because our, you know, our egg is released and then it lives for like 24 to 24 hours at the most. So, but a man is fertile every single day of his life. So he could impregnate a woman every single day for years on end. <laughs> and we, we could only really have a certain amount of babies. So but it's, yeah, it's on us. Yeah. It's on us. It's not yeah. Okay. And so I think like I urge anyone who's listening to really consider the side effects because there are genetic underpinnings. You know, some of us are prone to blood clots or pulmonary embolisms, whereas others are not. And the, you know, the only way to unfortunately know that is, you know, well, not the only way you can actually have a blood test done to determine whether you are, um, you are at risk for having a blood clot or not. And so you can advocate in that way, or you can try a more natural birth control option because, and that, but that requires us in a society where, you know, we just want a pill to fix the problem or to deal with whatever it is that we don't want to be bothered with, uh, to actually do research and understand our bodies in a way that, uh, you know, is more thorough. And so it almost requires a bit of a paradigm shift in a way, uh, about how we view our health and our well-being. Um, so when it comes back, though, to birth control, like I said, I think that we have to advocate for ourselves. And I think that these, the problem with hormonal birth control, generally speaking, is that it's shutting off a very vital process, which is ovulation. And so you know, my friend Lara Brighton, she wrote a great book called The Period Repair Manual. And, you know, she advocates so much for ovulation. I think her hashtag is like right to ovulate. And I love that so much <laughs> because we almost have to fight for it in a way because it is, you know, the pill and all of these other forms of birth control are so, are just handed out like candy, right? And they're, uh, and they're shutting off this really vital process. And so when you're not ovulating, you're not making all of these hormones that I'm talking about, we're not making any of our estrogen and our progesterone, um, our testosterone. This is why the side effects are so far reaching and varied on hormonal birth control, right? For anywhere from like hair loss to acne to low libido, 
uh, to painful sex, to a period that goes missing, to major mood problems like depression and anxiety. Um, you know, the list just goes on and on. I mean, there's so many. And we and it's because our sex hormones are not just our sex hormones. They're actually, uh, they're playing a role in everything. We have estrogen receptors all over our body. So when we're in a low estrogen state, as in like we're on a low dose birth control pill and all we're, all we're getting is whatever's in that pill, then we universally feel pretty crappy. And that's why, because estrogen plays a role in your brain health. It's, it's, almost attached to serotonin in a way. So when estrogen plummets, your serotonin potentially plummets, not for everyone, but some of us, that's the case. It's also critical for your bones. I mean, there are so many studies now showing that our bone health is severely impacted if we're put on the pill from a younger age and we're on it for long periods of time uh, because your bones don't finish growing until after puberty. So we have these kinds of issues happening. Um, it's responsible for your heart health as well, to some degree. This is why, again, uh, osteoporosis and heart disease are so uh, rampant in menopause, right? Because estrogen mm-hmm. drops. So then there's progesterone as well. If we're not ovulating, we're definitely not making progesterone. Progesterone keeps us calm. It's like the anti-anxiety hormone. And, you know, it does so many other things. It's like a major component of brain function. So, in fact, it's used in traumatic brain injury as a as a treatment. So like we're missing out on all of this in the name of birth control. And I just think that women deserve better. We definitely deserve better. And all of everyone who's listening should know that about themselves. You deserve better. Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. I know, as I mentioned, it can be a controversial topic and there'll always be people that sit on either side (laughs) of that for sure. But I know for myself, I just have so much anecdotal proof in my real life from the conversations I have with women that you know will say to me I was on the pill or I had the marina or whatever it is the implant in my arm and I would find myself driving to work and I would be crying and I was just so emotional and then I became more curious and I stopped the pill or I removed the implant on got the marina taken out the IUD all of that and things really ultimately shifted. And so whilst I'm not educated enough to be able to go, this is, you know, 100% factually correct or whatnot, you know, whatever it is, I just know that in my life, the conversations I have with women, so many of them have seen dramatic improvements from changing, from messing with their hormones with a synthetic hormone and just actually embracing and understanding their cycle. It's been huge. Right. I, it's amazing. It's so So good. I mean, yeah, I was just going to say really quickly when you, when you tune back into, or you just tune in for the first time (laughs) to what's happening, right. You know, just under the hood, um, it, it can, like you said, it can be really life-changing for women. And they, Mm -hmm. I, I feel from them so much joy at having this reconnection to what is their essence really? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so much more powerful way to look at it and acknowledging that our bodies have evolved to be doing all of these things for us. So embracing it and becoming curious and tracking and informed and educated is just so important. So I'm very, very grateful for your time in sharing your message. Now, 
I know that you've got your programs. You also have a podcast, which is called The Period Party, which Mm -hmm. is how we found you because this is a topic I've wanted to unpack since I started the podcast because I just, I feel very passionate about it. And your podcast is wonderful. So are there any other areas? Any other places that we should send our community so that they can learn more from you, Nicole? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say the first place to go is to my blog. I write a lot about all of this stuff. And um, you can just find it at NicoleJardim.com forward slash blog. I'm also, like you said, the period party. I have that podcast as well. We have quite a few episodes on a wide range of topics. And then... I'm on Instagram a lot, so you can you can find me on there. It's just forward slash Nicole M, like Madeline Jardim. And then I also have a book coming out in April of 2020, which I'm very excited about. I, I can't believe it's happening. I cannot wait to get my hands on it. I'm Woo. so excited for this. Oh, my gosh. I know. It has been a year. <laughs> I don't know April will be here this. in a hot minute. April it will be will. here I know. know yeah. <laughs> I can't even believe it. It will be. I'm so excited. So yes, like that is happening as well. And of course I have programs too. And um, my plan actually is to be launching a fix your period membership program as well, because I just feel like we need to continue to educate as many women as possible. I feel like it's, you know, it's my mission on this planet. Mm. So programs will, can be found as well. At least what I have currently at Nicole Jardim forward slash programs. And I've got my 12 week fix your period program for anyone who is really struggling with pretty much anything that we described. I've, you know, I've got something for you. Amazing. That all sounds wonderful. And I'll be sure to include all of that in the show notes as well so that our community can easily find you. As I said, I'm so excited to get my hands on your book. And again, a massive, massive thank you for taking the time out of your busy day or your busy evening um, (laughs) to speak with us. I'm so grateful. Thanks, Kylie. I so appreciate it. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.